Family meeting at 10. Welcome to Family Meeting, a Peaky Blinders podcast. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. Uh, welcome back. Yeah. Listeners. <laughs> right. It's been two weeks. It has. I think we've all recovered from, uh, the, you know, cliffhangers and shocks and jolts. <laughs> sure. Of the Peaky Blinders series one finale. You know, I know we've all been on tenterhooks. Waiting to see how that's resolved. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it on tenterhooks. <laughs> like, I just don't see the point of doing anything else. It's your lifelong motto, really. It really is. That's why you married me, isn't it? I suppose so. I've got a thing for tenterhooks, it yeah, would seem. that was in our vows, on tenterhooks <laughs> and in health. <laughs> Everybody was so confused. Well, that's kind of our thing. Yes. It's also uh, Killian Murphy's thing. I'm segueing there. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of true in this episode. But... Oh, one thing I just thought of earlier today. Uh, this is on iTunes. Mm-hmm. So, hey, guys, if you like this podcast, feel free to rate it and leave a review. Oh, yeah. Uh, All that stuff. Likewise, for up yours downstairs in the palm court. Right. I mean, literally, I was taking the elevator to our apartment <laughs> today. And I was like, oh, yeah. That's the thing that people do. Yeah, it sure is. We don't think about it because we dislike iTunes for reasons. I do uh, anyway. I don't know. I'm like ambivalent, but I also, I fear criticism. Mm, well, right. I mean, we, we're not going to read the reviews. <laughs> we'll appreciate them. Yeah. Well, I mean, the reviews are for other people, you know? Yeah, that's right. It doesn't matter what we think of your opinion of the show. Yeah, so... We're pretty know, much locked into doing it regardless. If so. you think Tom sounds gay and I'm really annoying... You can say that. People have. <laughs> yeah. And that's why we no longer read the reviews. That's right. I mean, they say it to our face as well, which is harder to avoid. Yeah. But... <laughs> well, you know, but you got to just, you got to do your best. Right. Usually we're drunk, though. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And then we get to scrapping. Mm-hmm. We're not. We're pacifists. Yeah, we're really making that up. Yeah. That's not true. We're not at all like the Peaky Blinders. I mean, really at all. I'm sorry. Yeah, we're not. Yeah. We're pretty, uh, you know, we're chubby law-abiding yeah we don't uh we don't drink as much as we used to that was the only thing we used to have in common yeah and now we're just you know <laughs> you know we're moderately drunk now yeah i mean i we're, we're barely even problem drinkers anymore i know man like <laughs> like we drink as much now as we've always told our doctors that we drink that's very true yeah yeah which is good it feels good to not lie no. anymore I mean, they still criticize us, but at least we can be like, okay. Yeah. No. Anyway, listen, this wound up being a really depressing look into our lives. <laughs> I think it's all right. <laughs> the review is going to be like, I like when they recap the podcast, but then they started talking about their drinking and their <laughs> like, you know, doctors and stuff. And that was weird. Right. Why did they do that? Anyway. We don't know. Peaky we- blinders. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not belabor the point. That's right. It's uh, It's season two, everybody. And we open and we're like, is this a previously on? Right. Because it's unclear because it just dives into like Killian typing his letter. Yes. And Grace at the train station looking very dramatic and all of the train exhaust. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Sam Neill is there and we're like, what? Because there was, you know, previously ons were never a thing. Right. Because it's Netflix and they correctly assume that, you know, however long you waited between episodes, you wouldn't need a reminder. Right. Uh, but as it is, it's kind of a hybrid. Yeah. They're kind of reminding us sort of what happened and also showing us what is happening. 
in this moment. Right. Uh, because at least if anybody's like, wait, I remember there being a cliffhanger, but I don't remember what it was. Right. Then we see that. So this is all happening uh, as PJ Harvey's To Bring You My Love kicks in. Oh, right. So we've got a new artist. Yeah. Uh, Steve Knight <laughs> got a new album. Yeah, we was like, I need a woman. Yeah. Who's the woman equivalent of Nick Cave? And you know what? He's probably right. I yeah. think somebody, I think, said that they used to date or something. Oh, PJ Harvey and Nick Cave? I think so. There was a whole thing, because remember when we said we saw something by Nick Cave at the SF, uh, the DeYoung Museum? Right, yeah. Turns out there's an artist named Nick Cave who isn't Nick Cave, Nick Cave. It's true. They had Wikipedia. <laughs> they had the whole thing. Sure, and also, I don't feel like it's good that he did this because Nick Cave's young son just died. Oh, right. Uh, so I don't feel like we should make fun of him for a while. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, like freak accident, too. Like 15 years old and just straight died. Yeah. That's no good. That's not a guy that needs to hear some jerks from the Bay Area making fun of him on a podcast. No, not at all. No. Uh, so our thoughts are with you, Nick Cave, and your lady partner whose name... I don't remember. Mrs. Cave. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, that sucks, and we're very sorry. Yeah. But, you know, now we can make fun of PJ Harvey. Absolutely. Anyway, uh, so Killian is flipping the coin that he uses to make his choices as Sam Neill points his gun at Grace. And Grace raises her handbag and just shoots through the bottom of the bag. And then Sam Neill lies on the ground as she walks away through the smoke. It's unclear where exactly he's been hit, but he's in bad shape. Right. There's definitely blood seeping out from underneath him. Yeah. And we're like, uh, is this the end of Sam? <laughs> is this the end of Sam Neill? I've been shot. <laughs> Grace. Stop shooting me. <laughs> You know what? I have missed that. <laughs> yes. that's. It's nice to have a break, but it's also nice to imitate Sam <laughs> It is. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's the little things. It is. Uh, and then we jump to two years later. Ballsy move, Steve Knight. That's right. Like, I was surprised. I was as well. Like, it was not what I was expecting at all. No. Uh, so we get none of the fallout of that moment. Exactly. Or understanding what happened with it. I mean, the coin toss, clearly, you know, Killian's around here shortly. Right. So clearly, whatever the coin toss decided was him staying there. Although one almost feels like it's irrelevant, because, like, wouldn't Grace, like, go on the run after shooting, uh, you know, officer of the law? I don't know what people do after they shoot people. Yeah. I mean, especially when it's, like, self-defense and they're also creepy, I but also... I mean, if also... you're a cop in America, you go on admi administrative leave. <laughs> right. But everywhere else, I'm not clear. Yeah. So Red Right Hand kicks in as two ladies, dressed in mourning and pushing prams, walk along together past the canal. It's the annual Widow Baby Parade <laughs> in Small Heath. We're late! <laughs> Hold the canal! <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, Birmingham still on fire. Yeah. In case anybody. That hasn't changed in two years. <laughs> right. Still going strong. Uh, and the pram ladies pull up to the garrison, uh, ditch their prams there, and then walk hurriedly away. Good thinking because the prams then blow up. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, they've got those Beeham exploding babies. Well, sure. You can see why they wanted to get rid of them. Yeah. And why they were preemptively in mourning. Those things are ticking time bombs. <laughs> <laughs> Take him to the doctor. Well, I'm afraid it's one of those exploding babies, ma'am. You're, You're going to have to get rid of it. Do you have any enemies? <laughs> <laughs> 
Might as well. <laughs> Make sure your exploding baby hasn't lived in vain. Can you imagine how angry the pro-lifers would be about that? <laughs> yeah. Might as but well. I'd be like, if God loves babies so much, how can we made some of them that can explode? Yeah, you might as well kill two birds with one baby. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, guess what, y'all? Peaky Blinders. Whoa. It's here. It's happening. <laughs> uh, we then cut to a real funeral. <laughs> yeah. A legit-ass funeral. Uplifting. Typical Peaky Blinders. Uh, the wind whistles according to the subtitles, <laughs> as Killian steps up to eulogize. And oh shit, terrible hat died. Oh my God. All of our dreams are coming <laughs> true. They listen to us. Uh, it wasn't anything exciting though. It turns out Freddie died of pestilence. Yeah. Which I assume means like dysentery or something. Right. It's a very broad category. But like is fine. Well, because I had first thought that it was the flu because that was the epidemic of the right. time. But somebody else has mentioned or mentions knowing somebody that died of the flu later and they don't say pestilence. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's just what they're calling communism these days. You know, it was just a hat-borne illness. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we see a bunch of close-ups of the Shelbys, the main Shelbys that we care about, Arthur, <laughs> Mumper, Aunt Paul, uh, Ada. Uh, and then after the funeral has wrapped, Killian and Ada walk away from the grave. And Killian suggests that now that Freddy's dead, Ada might want to come back to be him. Ada, who notably does not seem at all upset that her husband is dead. Now, Very this notably. is a man she claimed she would, like, move heaven and earth for. Does not seem at all torn up. I mean, maybe she finally realized that he was a shitheel. Yeah. But uh, maybe she finally found the rest of his hat. <laughs> I thought if I could just get out get rid of that one. <laughs> Why didn't you tell me? <laughs> the 500 th- hats of Freddie Thorne. I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> Anyway, uh, Ada snarks about how weird it is that uh, Killian now has chauffeurs there in uniform and four Bugattis while the country starves. Yes. and Bugattis were a very big deal at the time. They were notable for being very artistically designed. Uh, and it's impressive that it was four because only 8,000 were ever made in the lifetime of Bugatti. Hmm. Yeah. The, the name has been revived and it's owned by somebody else now, but the original folded in like 1959 or something Interesting. like that. I'm also not clear how he would have gotten them because they really didn't get they really hadn't ramped up production again after World War One at this point. But well, uh, well, we've determined that it's probably late 1922, early 1923, right? Yeah, that's yeah, that's true. So it's possible. Yeah. Anyway, look, hey. you've never run a criminal enterprise. No, I, I have. You get all kind of sample sizes. I would. I, I imagine you're right. Anyway, uh, Killian wonders if Ada's ashamed of them, and pa- Ada says that how she used to be makes her ashamed. Now, I thought this meant how she used to be a bitch and continues to currently be one made her ashamed. Right. Uh, but that does not, as the scene goes on, appear to be the case. Yeah. Perhaps she's upset by how she always took things from them. It's very unclear. Yeah, just more that she was part of a criminal enterprise, however, like, Peripherally. I was going to say, she didn't do anything. Well, I know. Anyway, <laughs> Polly comes up and says that Comrade Baby is with his cousins, and she caught him trying to pinch flowers off a grave. And she is quite pleased. Oh, yeah. Shelby kids are all class. <laughs> Polly wonders if Ada's coming home now. Killian says that Ada's embarrassed by the family, and Ada feebly protests. I don't know why she's even bothering to yeah. pretend like she's not a jerk. She Yeah, she just said that moments ago. 
Kalian explains that the family is planning an expansion and it's going to be dangerous to be a Shelby in London for a while. Uh, and then Polly starts objecting that a funeral is no place for business, which she has a point. Right. Uh, even if it is terrible hats funeral. <laughs> but Killian has also noticed, uh, that Ada is not weeping. Yeah. And he says that he wouldn't be bothering her if she was, but since she's not, he's gonna keep telling her what's going on. Ada says she's not a Shelby or a Thorn anymore. And I'm like, legally, you're still both of those nope, things. She's Ada X. <laughs> Uh, she's free now, and she says she's got to get Comrade Baby home. Polly then chastises Killian for not letting Polly handle it. Killian says he'll just have some men watch Ada's place until the danger passes. And then a man rolls up on a motorcycle and signals Arthur. Polly says, till the danger passes, that'll be the bloody day, which is true. Yeah. And it is interesting, because we did see, you know, in the last episode of season one, Killian's like, oh, you know, this is the last time. Right. And clearly, uh, somebody just blew up the garrison. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they're going to be in danger continually. Yeah. I think that just keeps being a thing. It's like if your rise to power was accompanied by random blindings. People <laughs> don't want to let that go. Yeah. They, they take that seriously. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because Polly is always asking Killian to leave things to her and he very rarely does. And he kind of should. Most people in his life, he really is right to ignore and run roughshod over. Mm-hmm. But Polly, you know, maybe a bit less so. I don't know, though. I I have some beef with Polly mm-hmm. in the sense that I feel, and we'll get into this more in a key scene, but I feel like she gives him a hard time a lot, but she never backs up her threats yeah she never she never makes him listen to her and i think that she could i mean i think it would be hard yeah but i think she's she's gotten into this role and you know and i can't tell how much of it is a character choice and how much of it is just steve knight not (laughs) writing women effectively but she just she seems like she enjoys berating him a lot more then she enjoys making him do anything. And I think from a character perspective, I mean, look at it this way. Polly also does whatever Polly wants to do. True. Polly doesn't listen to anybody else. True. And if she did make Killian come to heal, there's a certain sense in which she'd be relinquishing her own freedom. Yeah, and also putting herself on the hook for consequences, you know. That's true, because as it is, she's kind of floating above everybody right. as judgment. And she doesn't actually have to take any kind of yeah, responsibility. She can, she can kind of like claim. She's reaping the benefit. She's helping run the business, but she doesn't have to take the big risks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that'll be an ongoing conversation in <laughs> series two. Yeah. Well, uh, so cut back to the garrison where people are trying to put out the fire. Uh, good luck, people who are obviously <laughs> terrible at putting out fires. This is Beham. Yeah. Nobody even reported it for like <laughs> six hours. Yeah. Uh, well, at first we didn't realize anything Well, it just looked like one of the regular fires, didn't it? <laughs> Figure they were forging some steel in there. <laughs> Tom's is hard. <laughs> uh, also, there's some really bad kid extras in this scene. Like, they are just terrible. Yeah. Keep an eye out for them. They're they're trying to, you know, clamor and look at the fire, but, like, they're just grinning like 21st century idiots. <laughs> you know, there's a cop in a cape who's like, ah! Yeah, they're practically taking selfies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, standing next to a fire was the selfie of <laughs> 1920s Birmingham. 
Uh, so a cop lets Polly and Killian in, and this is, in fact, uh, Moss. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says that the fire happened at exactly 7 a.m. Which is really early, both for a bomb and a funeral. That is true. Because if it's that same, presumably, it's the same graveyard that everybody was always hanging out in. Right, in right. series one. Otherwise, why bother? And it's well, not that far away from the town. Yeah, but, I mean, it could be... Although it is a canal town, so they probably had to put it pretty far. Yeah. That way, you know, New Orleans didn't happen to it. Yeah. Or, I don't know, maybe funerals were earlier in Britain, you know what I mean? I mean, I like think weddings every, are. everything was earlier in general Yeah. Uh, in those days. That's true. Because, you know, the light and stuff. Yeah. Uh, in any case, uh, Moss's forensic science has led him to 7 a.m., and we have no reason to doubt him. Well, I'm sure somebody heard it. <laughs> Yes. The people in Beham are poor, not deaf. <laughs> At least not all of them. Yeah, I imagine some of them Oh, are. yeah, definitely. Yeah. So Moss asks Killian if he knows who did it, and Killian says he, that it must have had to do with the gas that had just been refitted in a transparent lie. Uh, and he pays off Moss. Yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of having a cop on your payroll. You're like, no, uh, I'll take this one. Yeah. I got it. Yeah. Uh, Paul enters the building, despite being warned that it hasn't been cleared for entry, uh, and she says that there is confetti all over the place. I'm surprised the confetti survived the blast. Agreed. I Also, it is not made clear at any point what role the confetti served, at least in this episode. I, I, mean, I thought it was sort of an identifier. I mean, I guess so. Because it was green. Right. Uh, it was green. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, it should have been green, orange, and white. But, you know, (laughs) limited budget with the IRA. That's right. These days. Yeah, well, after the, you know, crushing rule of Sam Neill, they've Mm -hmm. really had to pinch pennies since then. So, yeah, Killian dismisses his servant, Moss, and Polly wonders who did this. I feel kind of bad for Moss because he was so excited about not being under their thumbs. I know. And now he's under their thumbs. No, I do, too. It's like, and I mean, it's his own private ultimate. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you can just see it in just the way he no, carries himself. No, it's like, I've got, you know, I've got some personal, I've got some personal-ish with Moss. But in general, I was on his side, you know? Yeah, yeah. Despite the fact that these evil villains are heroes. I was like, <laughs> right. you know, uh, I'd want somebody like you on my local police force <laughs> if my town was being run by gangs. Yeah, speaking of somebody that likes going to bars that don't explode. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. Uh, also, if you've got jukeboxes and <laughs> pinball. And if anybody's got foosball, which I can never find. but That is a tough one. I know. Yeah. That was much more of an Ohio thing. People don't have it out here. Yeah. I feel like it breaks too easily. Huh. That could be. I don't know. Ball goes flying around. Who can say? No. Well, look, listeners, if you know of a bar in the Bay Area <laughs> that has foosball, hit us up. Up yours downstairs at gmail.com. <laughs> That's right. We cut to an Irish pub, and Killian enters and orders a whiskey, Irish. Uh, yeah, I fucking hope so. Did you even have to specify? Right? It's an Irish pub. The barkeep is standing in front of an Irish flag. <laughs> if you asked for anything else, they'd assume that you were from Northern Ireland. Right. They're like, oh, you want a whiskey? Irish or Scotch? Scotch. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the barkeep refuses Killian's money and says he heard that there was a bit of a bang at the garrison and asks after business otherwise. So he clearly knows who he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Killian says that business is surprisingly good despite it being a time of hunger and hardship. And I'm like, yeah, that's how gambling works. <laughs> right. People are hungry and they're like, well, I could buy some food or I could teach myself to fish. <laughs> 
This does not work out well. No. Uh, a little boy comes in down the stairs and asks, who's the Peaky Blinder Devil? <laughs> I love it when people call them the Peaky Blinder Devils. Yeah. It's great. Because <laughs> we forget how evil they are. Right. And ruthless. We do. Like, because they're so fun and cute. Yeah. And most of the violence we see is directed against, you know, other criminals. Exactly. Uh, so Killian moves toward the stairs and uh, follows the little boy as he runs through some alleys. Killian follows him through the Beeham smoke. There's unidentified music playing. Uh, I don't think we even got, you know, a fast boogie rock identifier <laughs> right, here. Right. Um, and Killian is frisked by a couple of toughs. A bag is placed over his head and he immediately turns into Scarecrow from <laughs> Batman Begins. So I'm like, oh, crossover app. Way to go, Steve Knight. <laughs> we were pretty excited. It's a burlap sack, in case you were yep. unclear about the connection. <laughs> right. As I cut to the Shelby bedding parlor, which is uh, pretty nice, mm-hmm. uh, as Mumper tells uh, Finn, apparently, who has aged dramatically He's in the last two years. He's got that Jack disease, like Robin <laughs> Williams had in that movie. I forget what it was called. <laughs> JK, it's called Jack. It's called The Boy Who Couldn't Stop Getting Older. <laughs> But he still found the goodness in his heart to buy his friend some porno mags. Uh, so, yeah, he is, he is aged from 10 to 17 in the last two years. But in any case, uh, he takes the phone. Mumper asks Paul if Killian knows who blew up the garrison. And Paul says he's gone to the Black Lion, which I cannot remember if that was the problem before. I can't either. And I meant I to even like go back wasn't. and look it up. Yeah, right? We were trying to figure out if it was the one that Grace went to and killed that guy. But yes. I don't think so. Yeah. But we never went inside that pub. Right, exactly. Well, so, anyway, yeah. Um, perhaps we'll figure that out. <laughs> perhaps you'll figure that out and let us know. We'd appreciate it. It's summer, guys. We're phoning it in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, John's annoyed by Tommy's uh, trip, but Paul tells him that Tommy does everything on his own. Mumper then asks where Arthur is, and he's apparently at the garrison protecting the whiskey from the cops. You know how cops are around whiskey. <laughs> Mumper says that he feels like things are getting out of hand, and Paul tells him then to get things in hand. Mumper says Ada told him that they all look like ghosts who work in a factory underground. Rule number one, don't listen to Ada. Yeah. Why? She looks like a bitch who hasn't ever worked a day in her life. Why were we even talking to her? Paul says that Ada will come back when she needs them. Which seems like not a great relationship. I mean... Yeah. Again, this is what I wonder about family sometimes. Yeah. You know, like, ugh, like, why don't you just let this go? Ada is like their deadbeat boyfriend, but like in family form. Yeah. But I mean, again, it's kind of their fault she turned out the way that she true, did. I mean, they true. let her be like this. Yeah. So I guess there's a sense in which they feel a responsibility to not let her like die or whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah. All I'm saying is if it was my family, Ada would not be receiving this kind of deferential treatment. I, I can attest to that. Very strong words would be said <laughs> about her at family holidays, and she would not be invited. Yeah. So Mumper says that he can't understand who'd blow up the pub, or just sort of asks who it would be, and Polly says, six. That's six questions you've asked me since I walked through, since I walked through the door. And, uh, that was, I was like, wow. No, I mean, that was some solid, uh, some solid, uh, negging on Paul's part. Yeah. Uh, that he is going to have to start being the man with the answers because once London happens, he is going to have to hold up his end. Which honestly is some good criticism for him because I think he's always struck me as a pretty reliable employee. Mm-hmm. But if he's a full partner in Shelby Brothers Limited, right. then he is going to have to kind of be a little less stupid. Yeah. And, you know, he 
he takes it for the constructive criticism it is. Yeah, quit putting the mump in mumper. <laughs> Back wherever the hell we are, the bag comes off of Killian's head, and he is seated in front of a man and a woman. The woman says, Thomas Shelby. And uh, he accuses them of blowing up his pub. And the two of them, Tom stoppered a bit together about violent men being easy to deal with, and it annoys the crap out of me. <laughs> Killian wants to know which brand of rebel they are, since the Patties have started fighting among themselves. Yes, he says he read that somewhere. Uh, was... Also, he was in a whole movie about it. Right, so he's clearly well acquainted. Uh, and he thinks the fact that they're having a war about peace is funny, and it actually is. Like, <laughs> I really appreciate uh, Killian's completely bleak and amazing sense of humor. Yeah. He wants to know if these two are for the treaty or against it. And the woman tells him he's one decision away from death as the man picks up a gun, walks up to him, and tells him to stop smiling. Which, I wouldn't say he's smiling so much right. as sneering, but point taken, gun guy. Yeah, but his, he's, he, I mean, he's always so minimalist with his facial expressions. It's, yeah. it's great. I mean, look, he is mocking them. Yeah, I mean, for sure. So Killian points at the woman and says her name is Irene O'Donnell. He tells her her address and also that her son is named Sean and he has irons on his legs. He comes in last in every race. Poor boy. Poor boy if the race is important. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. They're pointing a gun at your head. Yeah. He's so cool. Yes, he is. Uh, anyway, the guy whose name is Donald, and I think we only learned that from the uh, subtitles. Possibly, yeah. Uh, he really wants to kill <laughs> Killian after that, but Irene says no. She says he researches his enemies, and that's impressive, and that's why he's been chosen. Killian wants to know if the chosen one can smoke. <laughs> Donald pulls the gun and Killian gets out a cigarette. And Irene says that a vacancy has opened and he is going to fill it per an informed consensus. This is all very vague and kind of terrifying. Right. Killian says that he's a very busy man and wants to know what he's been chosen for. Irene then snaps that from then on he should shut his gypsy mouth and follow instructions. Irene, and I didn't realize this until just now, her vibe is very similar to uh, Miss Isringhausen on Deadwood. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So anyway, we cut then to Killian going out into a different room in what turns out to be a slaughterhouse. Mm -hmm. There is a gutted pig hanging next to his coat yes uh he tries to put on his jacket and retrieve his gun but he gets frustrated and throws around some boxes before regaining his composure yeah pj harvey is down by the water start so i guess we've completely moved on <laughs> from nick cave here yeah uh and then killigan walks into his office at shelby company limited and is understandably very frustrated yes he's been uh he's been bamboozled <laughs> he has despite the fact that it's a very nice office it's got a globe and everything oh yeah i mean you know but that doesn't change the fact that he got bamboozled <laughs> yes he did you can't just throw a globe at things and make your problems go away tom <laughs> So cut to outside, and Killian tells Moss that he needs the area around the Coop stables clear of coppers between midnight and 4 a.m. Moss wonders why, but Killian does not reply. That is not what Moss is paid for. Moss says not to start any fires because the firemen are going on strike at midnight. They haven't been on strike the whole time. <laughs> what have they been doing? Right. Well, maybe they're just, maybe they're going on strike to demand fewer fires. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Asmas cryptically tells Killian that uh, their old pal, Sam Neill, is coming back. He okay, so there's a lot of nonsense in this episode mm -hmm. where they try to trick you into thinking Sam Neill is dead. But by this point, 
uh, we've all watched it. We all know he's not dead. Right. So we're not going to pussyfoot around <laughs> these bullshit scenes. And I don't think we for a second when we originally watched it didn't think he was in it. You know what I mean? I, I agree. I mean... How can you have Peaky Blinders I, without Sam Neil? Right. Grace. <laughs> and, you know, we're all just familiar with, you know, if you're going to kill off a main character, you better kill him off very explicitly yeah. or we're just not going to buy it. Looking at you, Jon Snow. <laughs> the currently living Jon Snow. <laughs> Hashtag R.I.P. Shireen. <laughs> oh. Uh, I know, man. Look, there was a whole thing about that actress. She was camping, and she was hanging out by a fire. So she had somebody take a picture of her. (laughs) So it looked like she was getting burned up. (gasps) What a kid. Yeah, way to go. Anyway, it turns out that Sam Neill has a new position, head of the Irish desk. All right. Uh, And so he figures... It's just made of whiskey bottles. (laughs) And shamrocks. (laughs) And shillelaghs. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so Moss imagines that he won't be messing around with the likes of them. Killian imagines otherwise. Oh, he very much imagines otherwise. Yeah. Well, Moss... Well, no, because Moss knew that Grace fucked Killian. But mm. I don't know if Moss knew that Sam Neill was in love with Grace. That's That may be and true, yeah. And perhaps if he knew that mm-hmm. and that Grace shot Sam Neill, <laughs> right. uh, maybe he might be more concerned. Could be. Oh, right, because there's not much suspense because we get rhythmic clanking and oh, we're yeah. hearing... We're hearing some man screaming about the man with the wolf head, and yeah, I'm like, what? A representative Rob, yeah, of his majesty, Rob Stark? The king. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Just wall-to-wall Game of Thrones spoilers in this episode, everybody. Uh, so anyway, a man with a cane walks down the hall as this is all going on, and the man is screaming to be allowed to speak to a representative, a representative of his majesty, the king. And uh, Sam Neill sidles up to this guy in the hallway and asks if someone has business with the king. <laughs> Sam Neill gets the all... The king s- of accents. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a master of disguise. <laughs> so Sam Neill gets very snarky with this guy who is the governor of wherever the hell they happen to be. Uh, this prison, I suppose. Uh, oh, right. I forgot how it's like governor instead yeah, of warden. Yeah, yeah. Um, Anyway, the governor tells him that the man in the cell who's screaming is claiming that the uh, murder of an Irish activist in Whitechapel that he is about to be hanged for was actually ordered by the British intelligence by Sam Neill, in fact. Mm-hmm. Although, of course, he can't be that explicit about it. Yeah, but he, he says the man with the wolf head cane that was shot in the leg and or, or whatever. Yeah, and, and that it's, and it's, Sam Neill is there, like, clearly that guy. Yeah, and but just being a total, like... Pff, I, he, he keeps saying that it doesn't ring any bells. Yeah. Uh, Sam Neill tells the governor to go ahead and make with the execution. <laughs> and he says that if the governor ever wants to discuss anything about this, Sam Neill knows where he lives. Yeah. Which I thought was a bad move myself. Yeah, because Sam Neill's stated position throughout this scene is that he has no idea what this guy's talking about, which is a perfectly defensible position as a British intelligence officer. Right. But then by implying that even though he said he doesn't know anything, that he does really actually know a lot of things and that he doesn't want anything to get out about it. Like, yeah. I'm not saying that this governor has any particular power, but like you have to have enemies, you know, yeah, the IRA and, and, is going to do whatever they can. And you know, you don't know where this guy's sympathy lies. Right. So you don't want to go 
you don't want to go threatening a relatively upstanding citizen unless you have to. Mm-hmm. But that's what Sam Neill Look, felt like doing. Yeah, we've never thought he was good at his job. I mean, ever since he ordered that new cane. <sighs> the first one had a bird head. <laughs> I require your most evil cane. So you know, we're, we're tipping yeah, no, it at JFK. We gotta no, be careful. I know. It's true. Well, careful, Brony. I can't say require in that accent, so that's a good thing to know. I require a new cane. Yes. All right. I don't know. Now I'm overcompensating. Well, don't worry, fine. guys. We'll we've get on self-conscious again in a minute. We've got a few scenes off from him now. <laughs> so we cut to Arthur jumping rope at the gym as Finn enters to tell him that Killian... New Finn. Yes, old new Finn. Finn. <laughs> new old Finn? <laughs> now that we, well, right. Look. Newly old. Yeah, yeah. newly old Finn. I <laughs> uh, says the Killians called a family meeting, and the boxing guy tells new old Finn that Arthur just beat the shit out of an apprentice, and that boxing guy had to carry the kid out in buckets. And uh, that doesn't sound good. No, like, that's not supposed to be what happens. Yeah, it's just supposed to be funsies yeah. at the boxing gym. Yeah, and Arthur is not jumping rope in a carefree fashion. Arthur Let us be looks clear. like he wants to kill many people. Yes. Uh, Arthur then suddenly stops and says, that was 2,000. <gasps> Who does 2,000 jump ropes? After already beating a kid half to death. Yeah. At least half to Also, death. he doesn't look okay. No. He looks bad. He does. Yes. I am beginning to think he might have some issues. I concur. <laughs> Back at home, Finn paces until Arthur tells him to sit down. Uh, then Arthur says that while they're all waiting, they can drink some whiskey left over from the explosion. Apparently, it's all very good whiskey. Esme sits on the steps and she looks kind of like a wreck. I'm like, but I mean, I guess she's got all those kids to deal with. Yeah, that's true. Her sweater looks super comfy, though. (laughs) John says that before Tommy arrives, they need to get some things straight. He wants to know when they took a vote on the expansion south. Polly says he needs to shut up and wait for Killian. But John says he sees all the books, uh, you know, legal and not. And uh, he sees things that they don't. They're making 150 pounds a day, often more. That's and, uh, that's not bad. Yeah, we're not making 150 pounds a day. I mean, I don't know on what this kind podcast, of, right? Like, I don't know how much like where the depreciation comes yeah. in and all that sort of thing, but still. Uh, and I'm assuming that's cleared profit. You would you think, know? yeah. Anyway, he wants to know why they're changing things, and he says they haven't even set foot in London yet, and their pub has already been blown up. Everybody argues about whether or not the Cockneys did it, and then Killian enters. As Esme says, she heard only family are allowed to speak. Uh, John cuts her off and says he's head of their household and he will speak. But Killian deadpans that they are a modern enterprise that believes in equal rights for women and tells Esme to get on her feet. Esme stands up and says she's not a blood member of the family, but that is perhaps why she can see things the rest of them can't. So she'll make her point. And Paul snarks that that'd be nice. And I can't help but agree. Yeah. Like, these are not long-winded people, Esme. Well... It's her gypsy blood. I know. Esme says that right now they're very successful, but London is totally crazy, according to the relatives that she has there. Including in Shepherd's Bush, which (laughs) is a silly sounding name. But then it occurred to me if I heard, you know, pastor, whatever the Spanish word for bush is, you know, like if I heard it translated in another language, even if you told me it translated to Shepherd's Bush, I'd still be like, whatever. Perfectly normal name. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, uh, she says in London, the gangs are more like armies fighting wars and the coppers fight alongside them. And there are foreigners of every description. <laughs> and I'm like, like, 
I don't think you needed to add that last part. The first two pretty I much mean, covered no, your concerns. I don't know. At this time period, I mean, even today, people are afraid of what they don't understand. Well, So, true. you know, in Birmingham, they have at least a sense of who everybody is. Yeah. And the foreigners that they do know, they have, you know, enough of a common... Yeah, it's just Irish and gypsies. Exactly. And, yeah. Well, there are the Italians there in town as well. I oh, mean, yeah, that's there's, right. There's I forgot that they were there, yeah. but yeah. Anyway, she says that bombs are the least of it, and she wants her husband to see her child grow up, because so she's had a baby as well, mm-hmm. um, which I think we saw at the funeral, that she oh, had a yeah, small baby. Yeah. Uh, and she wants to live in the country someday and raise chickens, but she says London's a bad scene and they should stay well out of it. Uh, Killian actually looks shaken no. by this, uh, which is weird, considering yeah. what happens next. Right, it, yeah. But Esme's done and she sits down. Arthur says, that was a lot of words. (laughs) And he hands Killian a drink. Killian says that the bang had nothing to do with London, and as long as they stick together, they have nothing to fear. Killian says if anyone wants to leave, they can do so right then and go raise their chickens. Uh, John doesn't leave. Esme, not thrilled. And Killian says that the expansion begins the very next day. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, still no vote, it would seem. <laughs> uh, you know, he's a benevolent. <laughs> Killian unlocks the cage at the betting parlor, that, uh, the cage where the cash is counted. They go in and Polly's upset that he didn't consult her about this because she is company treasurer. Uh, and the next day is Newmarket, the third busiest day of the year after Cheltenham and Epsom, I would mm-hmm. imagine. Uh, and oh yeah, by the way, Polly, such a bitch to Esme like 30 seconds ago. Yeah. Oh, but when she's the one getting cut out, then mm-hmm. she, anyway. Killian tries to open the safe, but Polly has apparently changed the combination and she forces him to tell her what's up at the black, at the black lion. He says that it's Irish business and it's best that not everyone knows what's happening. And he says that because the next day is Newmarket, most of the gangs will be there rather than in London or the leaders anyway. He says the Italians and the Jews have been at war for six months. The Jews are getting the worst of it and need allies. Polly points out that they, the Peaky Blinders, do not need allies. Mm-hmm. Polly tells Killian... I mean, only in Birmingham. Right. They are going to need them in London. Right. Well, right. But at the present moment, they don't need any. Polly tells Killian that Killian's mother said that it was his cleverness that would kill him. Well, kill- she died first, so... Yeah. I mean, you know, something kills everybody. Might as well be cleverness. Or velociraptors. <laughs> That's right. I think those are the two best options. Yep. Cleverness, velociraptors. <laughs> Boom. Killian says that they're just going to leave a message to see if Alfie Solomons and his boys, that's presumably the head of the Jews, uh, want to join up and... Oh, presumably the head of the Jews. I'm going... Well, it wasn't specified, was it? <laughs> I am presuming as much. All right. Uh, and anyway, he tells Polly to open the fucking safe. Paul says that Killian just made a fine speech about women's rights, but when it comes down to it, he doesn't listen to anything women say. Again, neither does Paul. Yeah. Uh, he blames, she blames him for not being over Grace and punishing all women because of her. And yeah, it's like, yeah, that was just one woman and she sucked. She did, but also he didn't listen to women before that. Excellent point. Like, he does not have time for them in general. No, he, he never has. That is true. 
you know, they're a means to an end for him. And I say that kind of without a value judgment attached because he is a psychologically damaged individual. He is. And it's not like he listens to anyone. No. He doesn't listen to anybody regardless of gender. Right. Right. So it's not even a woman thing. I think he's uncomfortable around women. Yeah. But that doesn't mean he would listen to them if he was comfortable. Right. Right. Agreed. Anyway, Killian does look chastened as Paul opens the safe and Killian pulls something out. So Paul tells him, go ahead, go with the boys and you get yourselves killed. She is pissed. Through a curtain, we see someone getting fucked and her hand hits the window. Uh, it's Killian doing the fucking and it is not a good look. Like you at least don't do your collar button. Jesus. It's like super maintenance fucking. Yeah. And I'm like, why don't you just jerk off? I know. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Look, you know, I've never used a prostitute, so right. I don't know how it works, mm-hmm. but like, it just seems very sad to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, he finishes and pulls out, and the woman is Lizzie, the prostitute oh, yeah. John almost married, if you recall, and Killian ruined that for her. <laughs> right. She asks if he's going to London right then, and he says he has something else to do first, and she notices his typewriter. She says she's got one at home doing a co- and is doing a correspondence course. She is learning to type with her eyes shut for the touch type test. Mm-hmm. And she wants to know if he'll come back before he goes to London. And he says no. And her face. Yeah. Oh, Lizzie, you done caught some feelings. That's the first rule of prostitution, I would think. Don't and catch him. Yeah. Like, don't catch the clap right. first, actually. Yeah. That's more practical. Yeah. But secondly, don't catch the feelings. No. Killian pays her and she says just once she wishes he wouldn't pay her as if they were ordinary people. Killian says, yeah, and leaves. And, and yeah, just, one- I don't even know how to react to this because yeah. number one, Lizzie, you're not ordinary people. Like the entire, your relationship has always been transactional. You've right. always been a prostitute. Yeah. No matter what feelings you caught. Also, look, and I, I love a wounded bad boy as much as I would assume 67% of the female population, (laughs) if not more. You Mm -hmm. know, we all want a Christian gray to tame or whatever. (laughs) Right. As Uh, I understand it. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, but like, uh, like this is not the one, Lizzie. Like this is not. Yeah, you would have done better with John. You would have, for sure. What you really wanted was to like marry a Shelby. You should have not been seeing your regulars still. Yeah, but here we are. And they, again, another one of the brilliant Killian Murphy moments where he does essentially nothing and it's brilliant. Oh, yeah, it's great. Like, he just says, yeah. Like, the lock screen on my phone when I'm playing this on Netflix is just Killian Murphy looking straight at the camera with no expression yeah. whatsoever, which is difficult to do. Mm-hmm. Like, wow. Anyway. A woman walks up to a door. She takes her hat off after entering, and there are several people gathered at a table, and it is Paul. She sits down, and an older woman says that they will begin. Uh, she tells everyone to put their hands on the table, and it's becoming clear that this is a uh, seance or other type of spiritualist gathering, as was so popular at the time, mm-hmm. as we'll recall from Mr. Selfridge. Yes, and there was something else we watched, but maybe yeah. it wasn't... Um, something we covered on here. Possibly. Was there one on upstairs, downstairs, maybe? I think so. I Who can say? Anyway. Super, look, anytime there's an event that kills a bunch of people, this kind of thing becomes really popular. Yeah. So the uh, leader welcomes the new pilgrims and asks who they're trying to find. Uh, there are two new ones. The one that isn't Paul says that she is trying to find her, her husband, who she has failed to reach through a Mrs. Breach. 
Uh, oh my god. And this is so great because the medium throws massive shame at Mrs. Breach. She says, don't say that charlatan's name in my house. And I'm like, whoa. Yeah. You know, the psychic game is fierce. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Paul says that the person she is tr- looking for, uh, she's not sure if that person is actually dead. And she explains about how her children were taken from her and says that lately she has had a feeling that she can't put into words and that she keeps having a dream about a pretty 18-year-old girl standing across the street saying she's passed over. The girl has dark eyes and shouts that she wants to talk because Paul is her mother. Paul says that she doesn't even know the name that her daughter was given after being taken away from her, uh, but she figures this is the place to make contact and to say goodbye. The medium notes that Polly is wearing the black Madonna and wonders if she's gypsy, and Paul says that the part of her that dreams is gypsy. Which isn't super helpful. Right. Uh, but the medium then starts talking in Romany and saying that she herself is also gypsy and asks for Paul's name. And Paul says... Paul says that her maiden name is Shelby, so perhaps she should go first. What a bitch. Yeah. What a bitch. Yeah. It's like Ada in that movie theater. <laughs> of the peaky Shelbys. <laughs> well, she gets her comeuppance, though, because she runs out of the house weeping no over and over again. She just screams and is just a wreck and points to Helen McCrory for playing this. Yeah. Because it's kind of, it had to be ridiculous on paper. Yeah, yeah. it's such a melodramatic, almost like Victorian scene to play. Mm-hmm. But she pulls it off. She mm-hmm. nails it. Uh, in the co-op stables oh, right. that we heard about yeah. uh, with Moss, Killian's watching a blacksmith who's working the late shift, I guess, because it's got to <laughs> be like, well, he said between midnight and four. Yeah. I guess, well, I guess, you know, the horse needs a shoe. It needs a shoe. I guess so. Anyway, uh, cue Johnny Cash's Danny Boy. And I can only imagine the scene here where Steve Knight is just demanding Johnny Cash and everybody's like, Steve Knight. That is the least British-sounding person in existence. You cannot have Johnny Cash. And he's like, well, he covered Danny Boy, didn't he? <laughs> I'm Steve Knight. So we got it. We yeah. don't understand it. Whatever. Uh, sure. The blacksmith walks over to get a drink of water, and he kind of, you know, talks around the water cooler with his coworkers. And then they all move away. Uh, but then as they leave, and not long enough has passed for them to be out of earshot. Yes. But Killian approaches him and says, Eamon Duggan, and then shoots him in the head. Uh, he was ginger, so <laughs> we guess it was fine. That, that appears to be Irish business. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, but again, it didn't seem like that stable was as empty as maybe it could have been. Yeah, but there we are. And I guess, you know, Killian is used to, uh, you know, committing crimes without comeuppance. So. That's true. So yeah. I guess he would know. Yeah. A car pulls up and Arthur shouts that Tommy is there. John yells that he's coming. Arthur takes a swig of something that he got from the doctors to keep him calm. Killian grabs it, sniffs it, and says that it's what they were given in the trenches to stop them wanking. (laughs) Wanking. Right. Arthur says, Polly says that it's good for him and keeps him calm, but Killian says that he needs Arthur to be fast, not slow, uh, and pours the bottle out and smashes it. That does not seem like a great idea. It does not. Like, I see where Killian's going with this, but Arthur has some problems. He does. He needs medical care. Right. And I I do wonder, I forget if this is ever more explicitly confirmed, but if we're supposed to be assuming that Arthur is, in fact, sort of unknowingly gay. um, Why did that make you think that? 
because he was being given a medicine to suppress his libido and because he clearly has issues and we never see him with a woman. I, I mean, I agree with you, but I don't see anything in this episode that indicates it. Well, like, I mean, this the fact that he was prescribed this specific medicine is why I think that. Well, yeah, but Killian says later it's just opium and bromide. And when right. he says it calms him down, I assumed it was to control his temper. Well, just that bromide, that's what bromide was. As he says, that's what bromide was traditionally prescribed huh. for, was to suppress libido. But doesn't, you know, don't the same hormones that make you aggressive also make you sexual? Right, which is why I, Killian I just, didn't want... I, I know, but I doubt that he was prescribed it specifically for sexual issues. Well, then, you know. Like, I, we both agree, and I think it comes up later in this season. But also, if you go back and you look at the episode with his dad, um, and even, you know, because he says he wants a blowjob off both those girls. Right. But it's like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but his dad kind of needling him about, you know, why don't you have a woman? Mm-hmm. And he never does. Right. You know, throughout the entire series, he never has anybody. Yeah. In the way that John or Killian do. So right. anyway, that was just a theory that I felt like discussing. Uh, so John comes out and says that Esme wouldn't let go of his leg. And Arthur says he bets that wasn't all she wouldn't let go of. And they all have a good British laugh. <laughs> Mumper says that Esme is against the plan and has opinions. Killian and Arthur tell him to get in the car, uh, and Arthur stands up and yells that the Peaky Blinders are going on fucking holiday uh, until Mumper pulls him down. Why would you say that, man? Like, I don't know. He Arthur ha- baffles. He has poor impulse control. Paul is smoking despondently and drinking in the bedding parlor in the morning. Uh, someone comes in and she hides her drink, and it's Esme. We love Esme, by the way. We do, yes. She's so great. Esme asks if Polly is also against this plan, and Paul tells Esme, she just ignores the question and tells her to look out for anybody betting on Divine Star because she's one of their horses. Mm -hmm. Uh, Any bets over a pound, Paul wants to know. Esme then walks over and says that she doesn't want to pry, but Paul should know that woman is a trickster. Paul plays dumb, like she doesn't know what she's talking about, but Esme tells her that the medium's sister was in the wash house early that morning boasting about a Shelby at the table. Clear violation of scammer victim confidentiality. Yeah, I don't know. Like, Polly, maybe if you didn't want anybody to know that you went, maybe no. don't give your name. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Paul continues to play dumb, but Esme says that gypsies talk to each other. And I love how Esme loves to throw in their faces that they're not real gypsies. Yeah. Like, even though they all like to lord the fact that they, like, can pass at her. Mm-hmm. But, you know, honestly, she has a lot more useful information than most of them. Yeah. She says, gypsies talk to each other, and she knows that Paul went to see Mrs. Price in the patch. Paul then flips out, Arthur style, and pins Esme to the wall. Esme is not flapped at all, by the way. She is not in any way intimidated or scared. I mean, I think there's a, you know, she knows she can't fuck this up. Right. But she's like, I'm not worried. Yeah. Like, you know, they said she went a bit wild. Don't know what that means, but (laughs) she's got a backbone of steel. But that... uh well, we should keep in mind that was Gypsies saying that. Yeah. So, you know, wow. Yeah. Esme says that the man at the table is Mrs. Price's cousin and they push the glass uh, when they do Ouija board readings to confirm what the Quarants already believe. Mrs. Price set up after the war to take advantage of the widows. And then Paul wants to know if they told Esme why she went there and pulls out a switchblade. Yeah. Esme is amazing here. Again, doesn't blink. No. Matt and I, I want her to have her own show. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it seems like Esme does know, but she doesn't say anything about it. But Paul says she will cut Esme if she tells anyone why she went. 
And Esme says she doesn't need a knife to keep her from telling secrets given in confidence. It's a matter of honor. Yeah. And then she, like, moves her head towards Paul. Uh Uh-huh. Like, she, like... It's like, what? Yeah. She's like, I'm unarmed, but I will cut you with my gypsy mind. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, Paul leaves without another word. Yeah. So, sorry, Esme. Your attempts at outreach haven't worked. And look, <laughs> Paul is not that different from Killian. That, she no, that's likes true. to act like she's so different and she's so much more in touch with her emotions. Mm-hmm. But she is just as impulsive and violent as he is. Yeah. Yeah. Arthur sings the praises of the countryside as the brothers all simultaneously piss in a field. Uh, yeah, that's what my family vacations are like. Uh, clearly. Then Killian pulls the cover off the back of the car and reveals dead Eamon. Wouldn't they have smelled that at some point? You would think. You would feel like at some point. Like at least when they got into the countryside. <laughs> right. They'd be like, why does it still smell like Birmingham in here? <laughs> you know, Birmingham, smoke, dead Irishman. <laughs> Killian explains that it's Irish business and he had to handle it himself. Arthur's disappointed and says, asks if they're not going to London after all. Aw, you said we were going to Dairy Queen. <laughs> I lied. Now help me bury this Irishman. <laughs> so Killian says that as soon as they bury the guy, they will still be going off to London. Yay! Cut to London at night, and then we're told it's London. Right. In case there was any confusion. Sure. Uh, various people are out on the street being ridiculous. <laughs> Killian pays off a doorman, and they enter a club playing loud, lively jazz music. It's true. There are some gay guys making out. Yeah, which just is unusual. In, just off to the side. Other people are doing cocaine right out in the middle of the hallway. Mm-hmm. Arthur says it's a fucking freak show, which could potentially support your theory about him being gay. Well, that's true. He couldn't let that be uncommented upon. Mm-hmm. Uh, various flappers are flapping. <laughs> they come in and the music is playing and Arthur's all, kids to die with damn music. And they're all very mad about jazz. I'm they, like, come on, guys. Yeah. This is what they've been scoring your exploits with. <laughs> Oh, they never told us. The blinders kick some people out of a table, and this club seems way more fun than Rose McClare ever had. Yeah. Like, the couple they kick out of the table was engaged in a hand job yeah. when they kicked them out. So, <laughs> this club is great. Yeah. Killian orders a bottle of Irish whiskey and reveals to his brothers that they are in Sabini's club. Oh. The Mater D then comes over and informs them that there's been a mistake, that they're going to have to leave because their visit is considered a provocation. And the brothers have noticed that every face in there is, quote unquote, a mug. Yeah. Uh, so these are all lieutenants because all of the, the top people are off at Newmarket. Right. Uh, as per Killian's plan. Uh, the, the Mater D's sort of protestations reach a pitch and he says, you're the picky blinders. And like, as soon as he says that, somebody throws a bottle and a huge fight breaks out just immediately. Yeah. Notably, no one stops dancing. Right. So this is not uncommon. <laughs> yeah. And the band knows to keep playing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Take a note, Fat Thomas. <laughs> right. I know you've gone, you know, semi- legit oh, right, or, whatever or whatever you've done yeah you- the band just plays on mm-hmm. uh and arthur goes into berserker mode so <laughs> i'm sure this is gonna end well <laughs> somebody shoots a warning shot uh with a shotgun i think it's the mater d yeah and he tells him to get out killian asks, that's when the band stops playing yeah when well, there's yeah. a gunshot when there's a gun that's shot, your cue well then you know it's self-preservation but as long as people are just beating each other up yeah like you might get a stray shard of glass but it's unlikely right 
Uh, it's not like they're using Molotov cocktails. Yeah. Uh, Killian walks up and stares him down and asks if he's going to use the shotgun. And he s- does not do anything. And Killian says, I didn't think so. Yeah. So he grabs the bottle of whiskey that they bought, which I appreciate his thriftiness. Mm-hmm. And he says that they came not to make enemies, but to make new friends. He says, those who are last will soon be first. And those who are downtrodden will soon rise up, which is... A keen little bit of biblical imagery, although yeah. I think it's from the wrong testament. Well, uh, no. I don't think they ever said that in the Old Testament. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, look, point is it's religious right. to appeal to Solomon's mm-hmm. crew, uh, however misguided. Yeah. Anyway, he says, if anybody wants to let them know, they know where to find them. And they leave, and Arthur says, I think I lost a tooth. I'll have none left at this rate. And it is hilarious. Yeah. Just the read on that line is great. It is. And then they go off to paint the town because they still have a bunch of money and they've left their message. Yeah. That was some solid gang activity. That was really good. Yeah. Good job, guys. That's why we watch this show. No. And that was the real, like, welcome to season two scene of this episode. Yeah. The rest of it was all just, like, table setting and Esme being awesome. Granted. But, like, it was just like, eh, what's going on? Sure. Also, blissfully (laughs) grace-free. Yes. Fingers crossed, everybody. Yeah. So cut to a naked lady and Churchill. I like this naked lady. This lady looks like what I look like naked. Yeah. No, I... I mean, she's probably more picturesque than me. Possibly. Given that it's a TV show. But I was like, hey. I I enjoyed the sight of her. (laughs) (laughs) Well, by the transitive axiom. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yes, and this, by the way, not the same Churchill as last year. You can tell because he looks like Churchill. Yeah, this is the real Churchill. Right. And he sounds like Churchill. Mm-hmm. Uh, they actually put in some kind of effort. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, where was this actor for season one? <laughs> like, he was do- off doing his one-person show, Churchill, the guy I look and sound like. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Although I can't imagine there would have been more money in that. Well, yeah, but he was already committed. He booked the theater. You know how it is. I do, but also <laughs> still, like, even breaking the contracts. <laughs> right. You have to imagine this was a much better gig. The show must go on. Maybe he was doing that show, saw this show, <laughs> recorded his show, sent it to Steve Knight, and was like, you need to cast me as Churchill. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so Sam Neill comes in, sees the naked woman, and is appalled. He is characteristically scandalized. Yes. And it's like, you know, uh, he's just drawing this nice lady. He didn't, uh, do whatever it was you did to that prostitute. Right. And, uh, you know, Churchill says first, he says, good lord, I thought you were Betty with more tea. <laughs> uh, and, uh, Sam Neill says that his secretary was not in the front office, and Churchill said that's because she is at lunch like normal people. Uh, and then they go back and forth about how square Sam Neill is and how he refuses to look at this naked woman. He's well, like, because Churchill is like, you aren't familiar with bohemian society. <laughs> I imagine you've never tried cocaine. Yeah. And Sam Neill's like, look, uh, every time I get an erection, I get shot. So <laughs> anyway, Churchill wants to know what's so damn important. And Sam, because well, it is his lunch. Like, right. Churchill's not just sketching naked ladies on company time. Right, no. The Queen's not paying him for that. <laughs> I, I certainly hope not. Yeah. I'm uh, sorry, the king. Yes, right. Apologies, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sam Neill says that their man in Birmingham has passed his test, uh, as Churchill complains that he's no good at drawing faces. Churchill does not give a shit. All he cares about is drawing this naked lady and mm-hmm. getting her face right, which he apparently can't do. Yeah. Who would specify as a professional life model? Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Sam Neill says that he needs Churchill's permission to prep his man. Churchill wants to know why Sam Neill chose the bookmaker, given that they have a history. And Sam Neill says that uh, he needs to uh, know his weaknesses, and I know this man's... I, I've lost the accent, but... He- I know... God damn it. See, when you lose it, it's like... Yeah. I know this man's weaknesses intimately. Uh, yeah, it was getting close. Me, no, I, I, well, we'll watch another episode. And in per- just the way he says the word intimately is a word of art. Intimately. That's just the rest of the podcast. It's us saying intimately in weirder and weirder voices. Intimately. <laughs> intimately. <laughs> that was getting into more of a Dalek. Intimately. <laughs> intimately. Intimate. Right. <laughs> so that said. At length. <laughs> Sam Neill says that he's going to make Killian do his dirty work and then kill him. Uh, and we see Killian walking through Birmingham blissfully unaware. I'm going to call his bluff. Yeah. Um, going to call his bluff. I don't... Look, he's never killed him yet. That's true. He's never even accomplished a single one of his goals <laughs> as regards Killian. Yeah. So I'm skeptical. I I hear you. Killian walks into Lizzie's room and she says he's early. Uh, he tells her to shut her eyes and sits her behind the typewriter. He tells her to type a phrase. Lizzie starts giggling. Uh, and they go through a whole thing where it's like after winter comes spring and she's like, oh, like what? This is weird foreplay. <laughs> anyway, Killian then starts her typing a job description for a secretary and Lizzie suddenly realizes that he means her. Mm-hmm. Uh, Killian says that he needs a secretary who can look the other way sometimes and that she can finally stop whoring for good. No exceptions. Yes. Does this mean him as well? Question mark? Uh, actually, yeah. Question mark. I'm not sure. He says that she starts Monday morning at eight o'clock. Uh, and he says he's paying her something like eight pounds a month. Yeah. Uh, which is the same amount he was going to pay her off to not marry his brother for. Yeah. So, uh, that seems pretty solid. moving up in the world, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, I'll say this. Good choice for a secretary, because if Lizzie does turn out to be a spy like his last secretary, at least she's an extremely good spy. Yes, that's also <laughs> very true. Killian comes into Polly's office and says that Newmarket was profitable. Polly starts yelling at him for starting a war and for taking away Arthur's medicine. But he has received a telegram from Camden Town that reads, Let's break bread together. Paul had said that she wasn't going to give it to him, but uh, she did. So this is my point. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. she finds herself in all these situations where she could withhold information mm-hmm. and yet does not. I mean, granted, to an extent, it wouldn't do anybody any good in the long run to right. ignore this. But it's just like, if you are never going to assert your advantage, then quit bitching about how you had it and, you know, didn't use it. Right. That's the thing. Either give it to him or don't. But don't... I just don't have any patience for totally useless conversations. Yeah. Yeah. So we see Killian walking out in the rain. Uh, we then see Ada is walking to her apartment, and a neighbor asks if she's going for a drink, but she says no, because the woman who looks after Comrade Baby goes mad if she's late. So I guess maybe she is working. I guess so. Um, she's doing something all day. Yeah. Uh, a bunch of guys are in the stairwell, and... At first, there's, like, one guy, Mm -hmm. and I thought it was one of the guys that Killian had watching the place. Right. But then as she goes, she has a a lower-level apartment. God, that girl can't get out of the basement. No. Uh, There's more and more guys on the stairwell as she goes down, and then they start to beat her up. They ask her uh, if she's a Shelby and if she has a brother, and she says, no, she's not a Shelby. They know better than that. Right. 
Killian is also being beaten up as uh, the other guys then move to rape Ada. Yeah. Uh, which is upsetting. Yeah. And somebody picked... Also, where were his guys? Yeah. That he that's, said he was going to He said they there. were going to be there. This is exactly like, what they were there randos to prevent. go in and don't leave and you don't notice anything? Yeah. Anyway, uh, somebody picks Killian up and he looks bad. Yeah. And a man says he missed Killian at his club because he was at the races. Killian says, Sabini, because we needed the exposition. Sure. And Sabini, uh, played by Noah Taylor, if you know who that is, he's on Game of Thrones. Oh. He played Vargo Hote. Oh, okay. uh, He also plays Charlie's dad in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with Johnny Depp. Oh, that I remember. Uh... Anyway, Sabini tells one of his men to take his name out of Killian's mouth. The guy pulls out one of Killian's teeth, and it's horrible. Yes. Very uh, upsetting. Not at all sexy like when they did it on the Americans. <laughs> no. Uh, and Sabini tells him maybe you'll find gold, and it actually is a tooth that had gold in it. Yeah. So... <laughs> Sabini says Killian is wrong to think that he can just come down to London and pick a side in this war. He says he's going to kill Killian and that his face will be the last thing he sees before he goes to hell. But then there's a police whistle. They drop his body and the gang scrams. And Sam Neill approaches with his gang of police officers and says he supposes they should stay if the bastard's still alive. There you go. That was solid. Yeah, that was fine. Yeah. End of the episode. And we don't know. Yeah. And presumably he is right. Or also did Ada get raped? Yeah. Also left hanging. And it's like, did you not see this as the logical next move by Sabini's gang? Yeah. Like, is this part of your plan? Light Yakami? Like what is going on? <laughs> I don't know. I agree. Uh, I honestly don't remember enough about. Right. I know. Look, what's really great. I think I remembered more of the first series. Yeah. Than the second. Me too. Uh, so that's great for this podcast. Yeah. Because we're not going to know what's happening. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, we'll see what happens here. I mean, Sam Neill kind of snatched him out of the jaws of the lion's mouth here, but uh, only to throw him into the den of intra-Irish conflict. Yeah. Which Killian Murphy has not survived in the past. No. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, we will. Yeah. Yeah, so that's it for this episode. We'll be back next week. We're on a regular posting schedule, I mm-hmm. think, until Labor Day. Yeah. So uh, strap in, everybody. By order of the Peaky Blinders!